This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. It is Monday, and you know what that means. This is our AI Success Factors episode. We have a guest today who is the head of AI at a company that in 2019 did some $72 billion with a B in revenue, and that is Zurich Insurance. Until recently, he was the global head of artificial intelligence for Zurich Insurance. He is now the COO of Zurich's Customer Active Management, or ZCAM, program. He's been with Zurich for nearly nine years and for the last seven years has focused on AI. As you can imagine, a large global multinational firm leveling up with AI over the last seven years, there's a lot of lessons to learn. And in this episode, Jiro talks to us about one particular use case in helping to handle the extreme volumes of customer support inquiries that Zurich receives during certain seasons. This is a company that definitely has business cycles, and those can be overwhelming for customer experience folks. You're going to learn a few things in this episode that I think are important takeaways. First, you're going to get an understanding as to where to find the low-hanging fruit when it comes to customer experience applications for AI. So Zero speaks through some of the ways that he made the decision in terms of boiling down where can we add value that would be a relatively small initial investment. Second, we've all heard the phrase, think big but start small, but actually turning that into action steps within an enterprise when you have to manage C-level expectations and you have to manage subject matter experts, that's a different thing. We go much deeper than that trope into what it looks like from an action steps level to think big and start small in a way that achieves a measurable ROI. Jiro talks about the actual measurable return on investment for the customer experience application that they built at Zurich. And it's one that, again, I, I hope a lot of you will be able to learn a bunch from. I will say, if you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you're also subscribed to our other show called the AI in Financial Services podcast. We have an entire podcast focused entirely on FinServe. So that means banking, insurance, wealth management. If you are in the financial space or you're interested in more financial services use cases, type the AI and financial services podcast into Google or into Apple Podcasts or Spotify and make sure to subscribe there as well. This is really the tip of the iceberg of a pace that we keep up even more frequently over on our financial services podcast site. So I hope to have you as a listener there as well. Without further ado, it's great to be able to have Jiro with us here on the show. This is our AI Success Factors episode with Gerald Junkel of Zurich Insurance. So, Gerald, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, I know today we're diving in on our AI Success Factors series. You guys have done plenty of work over there at Zurich. And I know documents and emails, something every enterprise is bombarded with, Talk a little bit about the problem that you ran up against. We're going to get into the results in a second, but describe this issue that you hit. So at Zurich, we had the problem that with partners, with customers, there's a lot of email communication. And the volume of emails we we're getting was growing very strongly. So our internal teams, our customer-facing teams, couldn't really keep up with this email traffic. So that led to a delayed response time. And that's obviously not the customer experience um, that we want to um, create. We were looking for um, a new technology solution to change that. Got it. And so the issue here was inundation with email. Now, is it basically a seasonal thing in terms of there's certain times where we get bombarded more than others, or maybe during COVID we got bombarded more than others, or what put this on the radar to make it a big enough deal? You're actually spot on. It's um, a seasonal issue because we essentially get the bulk of emails in uh, December and January from our customers, brokers, and partners. But at the same time, in terms of team size, 
We can't just hire a team that's big enough just for these two months. So we need to find a way to deal with this peak load. Got it. Okay. So we have a peak load problem for email communication. Obviously, many industries have seasonality, insurance being no exception. So December and January, you're overloaded. People are waiting too long. Uh, you're not able to get back to everybody. That's an issue. So now AI fits into the mix a little bit. Talk a little bit about what were the action steps? How did we get started here and leverage AI and data to, to sort of alleviate this issue? So we started off to say, okay, if we're getting all of these emails and there's an issue to read and distribute them, then we need to plug in the, uh, the AI right at the beginning of the process. So what we did is we connected the AI engine to the email inbox. It was reading all of the inbound traffic. And from user feedback, it started to learn to allocate emails to the right teams and also to start to extract information from the documents. This started small, but with iteration, it got better and better. Got it. And if we go into kind of maybe like a representative example for those kind of earlier use cases there, what were the kinds of things, you know, starting small that you folks wanted to see the AI be able to, to achieve or obtain? At the very beginning, our aim was really to say the AI needs to be able to at least allocate emails and tasks to the right team. So that's something that probably even an intern could do with, let's say, two, three days of training. Yeah. We said that has to be the minimum viable product for the first release. And that's why this was our initial focus. Got it. Okay. And what did it look like to roll that out and level that up? So you kind of did a crawl walk run here, which oddly enough in the AI success factor series, we hear about a lot of projects that uh, had a crawl walk run. Where did you take things after you saw some of the initial traction take hold? Once we had this initial success, our core focus was to automate more complex tasks. Because again, like an email triage, that's a good start, but that's not like a big benefit case. So then we said, if it can allocate emails, well, then we can also train it to read emails and read attachments and actually start to extract information from these attachments to uh, pre-populate downstream systems. So essentially rekeying the... Um, the extraction of information. And when you say repopulating downstream systems, I guess what I'm imagining is in, in a downstream system, somebody in customer service would say, okay, here's an email, here's an attachment with some form, you know, whatever, some kind of tax form or whatever else you're handling there. I can imagine it's almost infinite, frankly, how many kinds of attachments you receive, but they probably come in categories. So the downstream process would be, okay, they need to have the PDF up, they need to be able to respond to this kind of a product inquiry, and they need to modify one of these templates and get back to the customer. And then that stuff would show up in front of the CS person kind of already half uploaded so that they could kind of speed up their process. Or what did you mean by, I guess, loading those, those downstream processes? What did that look like? So let's go through a concrete example. Let's awesome. say we got three to four contracts that need to be updated because the name changed or the address changed. What we put on top of um, our AI engine was also um, a type of risk classification. So cases where our AI was very certain what to do, we just repopulated and finished the case and there was no human involvement. But there were other cases where our AI was not certain enough of what to do with a certain case. So there we applied what we use human in the loop learning and we aim to pre-populate already the data fields in the CRM and then the user could just confirm or reject. And 
the moment they disagreed with the AI, we could record this feedback and use it for retraining. And this enabled us really to um, build this AI so much into their core processes and make this uh, feedback cycle so intuitive and easy that we got lots of feedback from users and that helped us really to drive up accuracy a lot. Got it. Okay. So we, we got a feedback loop and we're able to sort of uh, improve the system over time. I think what you'd mentioned off microphone here is that this is scaled up to a pretty substantial portion of how you handle your email routing and that this tackling of this big seasonal issue has now become a pretty substantial deployment. Talk a little bit about, I guess, what the metrics of success have been for you folks in terms of the volumes you're handling or any percentages or numbers that you can address in terms of how this has affected the business. Yes, absolutely. So um, you're absolutely right. We have now scaled this um, across many, many other markets. And that was also really our intention when we started with it, because automating one process is good, but ultimately you want to have a machine learning product that you can bring to multiple markets to really achieve um, benefits at scale. Yeah. In terms of KPIs, as usual, it differs, but I think two key KPIs were for us, the automation rate and the accuracy rate. In terms of automation rate, we have automated about two thirds of the volume. And in terms of accuracy rate, we have seen performance around 98% accuracy. And with these two numbers, you can really move the needle in our operations. Yeah. Now, I can imagine that 98 might not be for every possible conceivable email type. I would presume this is for certain kinds of email volume or certain types of tickets or certain types of issues. Or what is that 98 getting measured against here? So that's against a complete volume, but you're absolutely right. We always have to distinguish between high volume cases, high frequency cases, and low frequency cases. Usually it's easy to train an algorithm to, or it's easier to train an algorithm on high frequency cases, and yes. it's much more difficult to train them on those low frequency cases. Yeah, that's, that's the, why that's we right. had the risk triage. Yeah, okay. And was there an overt kind of starting with the high frequency cases? In other words, hey, let's, Let's tackle first the things that we're going to see the most of. Like, is that a is that a takeaway from this particular project, or is there anything to say there that maybe other leaders could learn from? Um, absolutely. I think if I look at our biggest success factor for this uh, project was yeah. really to dream big, say, look, we really want to build something big here, but at the same time being very um, careful what you plan for the next two three months. Because ultimately, it's really important to show initial benefit, initial value to your stakeholders and also to your users. So they're willing to continue to give feedback and they're willing to go with you on this change journey. Yeah, That's why we really started small, a few email categories, focusing on the high-frequency cases, low-frequency cases were rotated to a different channel. And once we got there, some initial success, we started to include more different categories and we started to build um, on it with new use cases like the information extraction. But I think the one key lesson for us was really dream big, but start small because yeah. you need this user success to keep running. Yeah, longtime listeners of the show will have heard that kind of a phrase before. It's very, very important advice here uh, around kind of, again, like you said, dreaming big, but but starting small. You've actually walked through some of how that looked like physically. We've got a little bit more time to maybe unroll some of it. In terms of sort of doing that, did you have to get a sense of, okay, uh, like, I guess somebody needed on your team a vision of an overall bigger picture improvement, a leveling up of capability when it comes to handling all of our inbound volume. 
And then they had to whittle down where do we want to start. And also they had to figure out how do we go ahead and kind of get budget for this smaller project, but also talk a little bit about the bigger project. What did it look like to go through all those steps? Because these AI projects that are strategically structured in a phasic manner, they don't fall from the sky in a nice little portfolio that we flip open and now we can execute on them. Somebody has to do the hard work of determine the big picture, pick the part of the small picture we want to focus on, pick the way we're going to communicate that to leadership. What was the process that went into building that kind of roadmap that you've talked about? Because I think a lot of our listeners are going to need to do exactly the same thing. Yeah, right. So I think one key step that we did before any line of code was written was really process discovery, looking globally across our different markets. Where do we see similar problems? Where do we see similar processes? To in the first step, really filter down which are areas that if we are successful, can actually move the needle. Because I think that's kind of important to say what's our total addressable opportunity with AI. Yeah. That's step one. And the second one is really to make sure that you don't do it um, in isolation just with the techies, but that you work together with the business users, with the business stakeholders from day one. So this is ultimately not your idea, but a joint proposal, because it will only get the support if the business users and the business stakeholders support it. So I think it's very important to not create in the ivory tower four or five proposals and then start to run to people, but really speak with the business users, see what problems they have, maybe do it across of your company, try to find a common theme and then say, okay, from all the areas where we've seen the problem, where should we start? What's, yeah. Where's the process very stable? Where do we have enough data where our likelihood of success is good? And once you've done it, you can even bring the success to all of the people you've spoken before as part of the process discovery. So you build a bit of an audience, a bit of a community that has heard about it before. They see the results, and that brings them really a joint chase story. Yeah. Okay. And obviously, working with stakeholders so critical. It's really an undervalued skill. A lot of people assume, oh, we need great data scientists, and maybe we need like a great strategy or something. But they they don't really know how much of this collaboration, stakeholder communication fits in. But uh, I'm going to nutshell this, Jiro, here and make sure that this clicks for you. Today, what you've done in terms of highlighting your journey here is talk not just about dream big and start small, but what does it look like to dream big and start small? So you walked us through a process of assessing your processes. Where is there a need for a same kind of capability in many areas? In other words, a, a big impact for kind of the development of one single capability. Then you also looked at where the data volumes and sort of the infrastructure potentially accessible. So we really could make a difference with AI. And how can we start with a measurable impact there that's going to then roll up and have a bigger impact for the rest of the business? It sounds like these were sort of the phases you went through. Any any other additional points you want to add to that or adjust to what I've kind of nutshelled there for you? I would probably add in terms of process analysis that's also very important to look for process stability. Hmm. Find a process that will look like this again in 12 months or probably in 24 months. Because if you start to apply an AI to a process and you train on historic data, it's, it's very, very important that these historic data and the future data are very similar. Yeah. I think that was also something important for us to find this one really 
data-rich, stable process to make it work. And then after that, you can also start to tackle more complicated processes. Got it. Yeah. Begin with as many, with as few adversaries as you can. If, if you already have the adversary of, you know, deploying AI, which is hard enough unto itself, why would we also struggle with an adversary of a vastly changing set of source data and core processes? Like, why would we also do that fight at the same time? So like you're saying, look for stability in the process. I think that's another tangible takeaway for the listeners who are tuned in. Exactly. And I think really the final point is also find a business partner, business stakeholder that's also open for experimentation, who knows that maybe not everything will work on day one. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have, if you are not on the same page about how AI is different than IT, good luck with the rest of the project, basically. So um, yeah, being able to find that certainly mission critical. And Jiro, I know that that's all we had for time on this uh, short Success Factors episode, but we got a lot of great actionable ideas. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time and sharing them with us today. Thanks so much, Jiro. So that's all for this AI Success Factors episode. I really like some of Jiro's closing insights around how to select projects, thinking not only about where do we have quality data, not only about where can we make a swift impact, but also thinking about who's going to lead the charge, what kind of leader will be behind this project that's going to actually allow it to take off, really being able to select your executive sponsor in a conscious way, not just your project, but your sponsor. There's a lot to be learned there for some of you who are tuned in, who are going to be seeing AI make its way into the real world in the enterprise. And I appreciate Jiro being able to share his ideas. I hope you've also enjoyed this AI Success Factor series. This was our big idea for this year, 2022. Who knows what our idea will be for next year, but being able to cover these fast episodes, 10 to 15 minutes, one AI use case, one factor that really led to its success. I hope that it's been valuable for you. This is really something that we built based on feedback from listeners like yourself. If you've enjoyed the show, feel free to ping me a note on LinkedIn. You can find me, Dan Fagella, on LinkedIn. Let me know what you like about the show, if there's any guests you want to suggest or any topics you want to see us cover. The show is ultimately for you folks, and this series ultimately is based on your ideas. So feel free to be in touch on LinkedIn. Again, it's just Dan Fagella, F-A-G-G-E-L-L-A. I'm always talking to podcast listeners, newsletter subscribers, and getting good ideas from them. So feel free to be in touch with me there. Otherwise, we kick off tomorrow with our normal pace, covering use cases and trends on the AI and Business Podcast on Tuesday. So, so I appreciate you being a listener here with us. Stay tuned for tomorrow, and I'll catch you then.